The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. And you're welcome back to The Last Word. It's movies time. Ro McDermott, movies editor with Hot Press and Brian Lloyd from entertainment.ie are with us. You're both very welcome. There's a lot to get through this yeah. week. Some really good stuff. And we're going to start off with uh, two documentaries, both of which look absolutely fascinating. The first one is Nothing Compares, Brian. And this is about the life of Sinead O'Connor. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not so much the life of Sinead O'Connor so much as it is uh, from her, basically her discovery uh, in the mid 80s, right up to the SNL incident, which kind of... Explain I that. So, for anyone who wasn't around at that time, um, Sinead O'Connor was booked to, on Saturday Night Live for her second album. She came on, performed um, Bob Marley's War, which was actually a UN speech that Emperor Haile Selassie gave and talked about, you know, racism in the world and what have you. Um, and then at the end of the song, she took out a picture of Pope John Paul II, tore it up and said, fight the real enemy. And then, of course, the media storm just engulfed her entirely there were people and I re actually remember this quite vividly people were throwing um, CDs and tapes cassettes and driving over uh, her albums with a steamroller in New York they, I think it was like the Catholic League or something like that organised some protest about it I remember seeing that uh, as a child and just being really kind of mystified why they were wrecking their own albums like they went out and bought it and then destroyed <laughs> it but um, yeah so it basically it's her interviews uh, interviews with John Reynolds her ex-husband interviews with the likes of like Roisin Ingle is in there people in her life people in her orbit talking about that time period in her life what her I suppose her experiences with the Irish state you know the fact that she had came within striking distance of the Magdalene Laundries. Like there's a scene in it where she talks about how um, she was left overnight in a ward in this, I suppose, reform centre, whatever you want to call it, with women who were left behind by the Magdalene Laundries. And they were just crying out all night and that really had an impact on her. And that then kind of fed into her, I suppose, her activism. And I think what's so brilliant about this documentary is it's directed by Catherine Ferguson, who's a Northern Irish director, who actually directed some of Sinead O'Connor's first music videos. But she's so clear on what she wants to do with this documentary. She doesn't want to do what we've seen with so many women in the public eye, is that we've seen them being built up in the public, then torn down and absolutely desecrated. And then documentaries are made about the downfall, exploiting them further and making a profit. And this isn't that. This isn't a story about Sinead O'Connor's life. It doesn't go into, as we know, Sinead O'Connor's had some family tragedies and mental health it's not about that. It's about the public response to Sinead O'Connor, a young starlet at the height of her fame who is using her platform to speak out about issues and she really cared about. incredibly successful in the 80s. So mm. successful. Was nominated for Grammys, boycotted the Grammys, was on every talk show available and was always really articulate about what she was talking about. She was talking about church abuse, she was talking about misogyny, she was talking about racism, particularly in the States and was always so clear-headed and articulate and people treated her like she was dangerous, hysterical, absolutely mad because she was so threatening because she was highlighting these issues on a global stage and what's so interesting is looking back on there are so many uh, clips of even Gay Byrne interviewing her and I know he's everybody uh, like, famous moment it's everybody's granddad well, he's kind of patronising so patronising and paternalistic and it is this sense of treating Sinead O'Connor like the rebellious teenage daughter when she knew exactly what was happening and she was highlighting issues that we are now all talking about she was so before her time and we absolutely destroyed her for it so it's a 
about media. It's about that period in time. And it's what we do to women who speak out. Yeah, let's have a listen from Nothing Compares. And in this bit, Sinead is talking to Chuck D from Public Enemy about her performance at the Grammys in 1989. I sang Mandinka with Jake's baby girl on the back of my pants and I had Public Enemy's logo painted into the side of my head. They decided they wouldn't um, go to the Grammys quite rightly because they were protesting. I protested the Grammys in 1989 because they refused to recognize rap music and hip hop as a legitimate musical category. I thought it was like admirable when she put the Public Enemy logo in her head. With Sinead O'Connor, you didn't get the sense that she was just being pretentious, that she was fake. It was like, yeah, she seriously has issues with this. This is what's going to drive her artistry. She's committed to that. It was a brilliant performance. At that point, she was the darling of everyone. In one way, I loved it. Obviously, I was very young woman and you kind of fantasize about being famous. I mean, in another way, I was frightened by it. What maybe was difficult for me was the timing of the success thing. It meant that I suddenly had this identity um, and it, it, I didn't feel like it was really me. To be honest, I, I also had very little self-esteem. I couldn't understand why anyone liked my records. Brian, where is it available? Uh, it's in pretty much all cinemas. I mean, uh, Paramount Studios are giving it a big rollout, so yeah, you can you won't have trouble finding that. I think it's like IMC have it, IFI have it, Lighthouse have it, Triskelart have it, Palace Town and Galway has it. So yeah, it's easy enough to find. That's brilliant. Sounds absolutely wonderful. Looking forward to that one. Let's move on to perhaps another inspira- inspirational Irish woman. Row, take us through, or maybe Brian actually take us through this one here. This is about Vicky Phelan, the cervical cervical check campaigner. Yeah. So yeah, Vicky Phelan, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, received a false positive test uh, from cervical check. Turned out actually she had terminal uh, cancer. And what's really interesting about Vicky, I find, is. As much as this woman was, you know, facing up to the Irish state, to the HSE, to the fact that they were trying to pay her off and everything else, she was also facing her own mortality. She really had to grasp the fact that she was a woman with two children and was facing death and a death that could have been avoided had, you know, cervical check and all the rest of it gone the way it's supposed to. But then on top of that as well is there's 200 other women who were in the exact same situation as her and the idea that they all had to band together and reach out and, you know, fight this thing as hard as they possibly could because, you know, these women were literally facing into their own mortality in just the same way she was. She's been in the news a whole lot over the last number yeah. of years. People have documented her journey. She went through going to America, the appearances on The Late Late Show, many mm. other things. What do we learn more about her in this? Just, I mean, more, more of a sense of her life and her, the fact that she had a young family, that she was very much not expecting to do this at all. Like, this, I suppose the mantle of activist or whatever was placed upon her, but it wasn't something she sought out. She was just like a Limerick woman who was put into this situation and wasn't going to take it and decided to fight back. And, it, like, it's interesting that, like, this has been released alongside Nothing Compares as well, I think, because the two of them are very much about Irish women and the idea of when they are forced to act, they must act and they do act. 
All right, that is Vicky, which will be... Where's that one available? Same as well. Like, it's getting a pretty big release, so yeah, plenty yeah, to, see, good there. to see that. Let's move on to some of this week's other releases. Who wants to take on Amsterdam? Because <laughs> I... Nobody. What? Okay, who, which one do I row with first? Because this sounds... I thought this sounds great. It's David O. On Russell. On paper it does. That's on the thing. On paper it Ro, sounds so good. So this is David O. Russell, who's bringing us so, has brought us so many great um, movies. Uh, the Fighter, uh, Silver Linings Playbook, always has incredible star power. And this film has such Amazing an incredible cast. It has Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, John David Washington, who is Denzel Washington's son. Um, it has Rami Malek, Robert De Niro, Timothy Oliphant makes an appearance. Taylor Swift has a cameo. How can so that go much wrong? star power. So badly. <laughs> so this film basically is about three friends who meet during the war, the First World War. It's Christian Bale, it's Margot Robbie, John David Washington. Uh, John David Washington and Christian Bale are two soldiers who get injured at the same time for, form this incredible bond with each other. Margot Robbie is the nurse who helps them back to life. She's kind of quirky and artistic. She takes the shrapnel from their bodies and creates incredible sculptures. And they all form this incredible loving friendship. John David Washington and Margot Robbie fall in love and they have some whirlwind kooky adventures in Amsterdam together where they can forget their traumas, forget their responsibilities. Then they're ultimately brought back, separated and brought back to New York where Christian Bale and John David Washington work together. But then they get embroiled. They're framed for murder. They have to investigate a murder to uh, clear their name. There's a political scandal some of it is based on a yeah, true story some of it is real life, in Ameri- real life American 1930 odd when there was a quasi plot against yeah it was called the business plot of 1933 and the idea was was that this uh, marine general who in the film is played by Robert De Niro but was an actual real life character he claimed that there was a group of business moguls who were planning to basically bring American fascism to life by staging a sort of coup replacing FDR with a sort of general secretary of the United States and you know, like, you can see what they're trying to do in this. They are trying to kind of tie it into, you know... Parallels the, of... Yeah, parallels of, you know, the Oath Keepers, January 6th, Joe Biden. Like, you know, FDR is referred to as a mentally defective president, which is just very, very clearly talking about Joe Biden. The problem with it is, is that it doesn't really actually have a whole lot to say other than, you know, fascism is bad. That's, and like, the like, people have been saying that for years. Like, what, what are you saying new about this? There's another film that covered something kind of similar. Um, it was... The Robert Harris uh, adaptation of uh, Munich, The Edge of War from the start of the year with Jeremy Irons. And again, it's that idea about, you know, creeping fascism, friends, you know, living in the interwar period. And I felt that was a much cleaner kind of story and a much more interesting story than this, because in this, you know, the tone changes literally in the middle of the scene. It can be quite comedic and then turns into a kind of a screwball thing and then it gets really, really dark and you don't know really where to look and where to kind of focus your attention on. So it's just a, it's a mess. Well, I read an interview with Christian Bale about this film a few days ago and I thought it looked great. I mean, look, go see it for yourself. <laughs> it does look great. And the thing is, it's uh, there are w- hints of Wes Anderson in this. There are really interesting things. There are so many characters. It feels like it should be this really effective ensemble comedy screwball drama. Except, as Brian said, the tone is all over the place, but also the dialogue is incredibly clunky. People talk for 15 minutes at a time, but actually don't use the plot along very much. We don't learn anything about the characters. I will say, for two very attractive people, Margot Robbie and John David Washington have absolutely no chemistry. So you're not even invested in the one romance in the film. And at the end of it, by the way, we have to mention the overall David Russell's theme here is that everyone needs to be kinder to each other. We need to really embrace this. David Russell has been accused of really abusive hate behavior to 
as actors and actresses. So him spouting well, this feels very ironic, frankly. But it just it doesn't work. I was I was sitting there going, I'm not an unintelligent person, but I have no idea what's happening two hours in, and I don't care. It's just not engaging, sadly. <laughs> All right, well let's find one you might. Uh, who wants to talk about vengeance? Well, let's start. Vengeance is good fun. This is um uh. If everyone runs Ryan from The Office, this is BJ Novak. He writes and directs this. It's uh, a few things. He plays, uh, he also stars in this. He plays Ben, who is a white guy who is in his 30s. He's a journalist in New York. He's gone through a very shallow period in his life. He's having a lot of casual hookups with a lot of women. He doesn't want to get intimate. But of course, he's a journalist. He's reaching 40. So what does he want to do? He wants to have a podcast like every white guy in the world. Um, there goes my podcast. <laughs> yeah, mine too. Yeah. He gets a call in the middle of the night from someone saying uh, his girlfriend has been murdered in Texas which is a surprise to Ben because Ben has steadfastly refused to have a girlfriend for years but he discovers that the girl he had a brief fling with and his family believe that they were very seriously entwined so he's kind of guilted into going to her funeral in Texas but while he's there the family reveals that they believe that this girl was murdered and suddenly he gets his perfect idea for a podcast he gets a dead white girl which is true crime podcast gold and also he can investigate the differences between Texans and New York's people from New York he can investigate anti-intellectualism and intellectualism in the era of Trump and he says like all podcasts by American white guys it's going to be about America so it turns into a few things it's a screwball comedy it's a fish out of water story about a New Yorker in Texas it's kind of a detective thing but it's really a send up of New York elitism it's gun-toting Texans it's the comedy between the two it's snarky and witty and feels very much like what Ryan from The Office would make frankly. Yeah that, that sounds really good we briefly get The Lost King which mm. I don't think you're going to like really no. No, definitely not. Uh, this is the story of Richard III found in the car park. In uh, Leicester of all places. In Leicester of all places, yeah. So Sally Hawkins plays this woman who takes on this very, very obsessive quest to convince the University of Leicester to dig up the car park to go look for him. Um, I didn't really enjoy this. And it's a shame because I really enjoyed Philomena. And this is Steve Coogan writing and starring in this. And he wrote this with uh, Jeff Pope. And it's directed by Stephen Frears. It's just very humdrum. It's very, very plain. There's not really a whole lot going on. You know that they dig up the the, the king in the end and that they find it. So that's not spoiler alerts or anything. (laughs) But then it becomes a thing of like, who actually is, who does this uh, accolade belong to? Who is the legacy of... And does anyone care? (laughs) And does anybody really care? I mean, it's the British monarchy. Jesus, like, I mean, there's enough talk about them. Like, God. Like. <laughs> Brian Lloyd. Sorry. Will, like. Brian Lloyd, Rue McDermott, thank you very much for joining us. We're going through all of this week's new releases. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today and-